uh, somebody this week told me the vision of their church. They said the vision of our church is everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything is possible. I like that. That's such a great vision. That's awesome. For them, it was out building. A, for them, it was about building a place where everybody's welcome. Not a holy huddle here. Secondly, you don't have to be perfect. Life is messy. That means people are going to be messy, but that's okay. You can come to this church with all your stuff. And then finally, anything's possible. God is the God of the impossible. That's a great vision. Vision of Appleton Alliance Church is plastered all over the walls of our building here. We exist to connect as many people, to connect the world, the people in the world, with God and then one another. There's two parts to it. Want to connect the world, the people of the world, with God and then one another. Get them into community, as Pastor Harris said. That's right. Our church starts here. Our world starts here in the Fox Cities, but that's only a starting point. Our target is the entire world. And we want to connect people on this planet with a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says Jesus is the only way a person can get connected to the God of the universe. Now, you may disagree with that. You may think that's too, too narrow-minded. But that's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. The only way. And in the New Testament, it says there's only one name, one name by which man can be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. Now, you can complain about that, but that's what the Bible says. And so if you believe that, if you believe the Scripture is true, and Jesus is the only way, then our task as Christ followers, as Christians, is to get that message out to the world. Why? Well, because people need their insides to be clean. The problem why people struggle so much is their consciences aren't clean. They feel guilty. They feel bad. Their hearts aren't clean. Their minds aren't clean. How many of you took a shower this morning? Don't raise your hands. I really don't want to know. And frankly, the person next to you knows already. Why we take a shower? Why do we take a shower? Well, we take a shower before we come to church, hopefully, to be clean, to smell nice, and to be presentable. Well, the Bible says the only way you're going to be presentable to a holy God is through Jesus. And so what Jesus needs to do is enter into your life so, and get, you need to get connected to him so he can make you clean. How? On the inside. The gospel cleans hearts. The gospel cleans a person's conscience. The the gospel can clean your mind. The gospel can even clean up your tongue so that you're presentable not only to other people, which is important, but more importantly, that you're presentable to a holy God. Jesus can make you clean. And so that's what we do here. That's the center of everything we do here. It's preaching the gospel, presenting Jesus in a way that people can get connected to God. We're not a holy huddle. We are not a holy huddle here. Holy huddle churches are different. Holy huddle churches are all about us. It's about making us happy. You know, in, in holy huddle churches, people whine. 
We don't like the music. We don't like this. We don't like this. We don't like this. We don't like this. Why? Because it's all about us. You got to make me happy. That's the goal of the church. They don't like messy. They don't like people coming to their churches with bad problems or bad language or bad habits or bad relationships or bad kids. They just want to be a nice, holy huddle so they can pray those Star Trek prayers. Lord, beam me out of here. Yeah. Jesus never told us to pray that kind of prayer. In fact, Jesus said, I don't want you to be beamed out of here. I want you to be in the world. Why? Because you need to establish my kingdom on the earth. Right? Isn't that what we pray? Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told his followers to be kingdom builders on this earth. Get into the world. Fight the good fight. Make friends with sinners. Get your hands dirty. He didn't say, hide away in your buildings until I beam you up. So let me tell you something. You can tell when you're a kingdom building church. You can tell when you're a holy huddle church as well. Why? Because holy huddles churches are lifeless. They're usually legalistic. They're judgmental. They argue. They're hard. But there's nothing like the church when it's working right. It really, there's nothing like it. It's alive. There's evangelism going on. People are coming to meet Jesus in a new and fresh way all over the place. There's discipleship going on. As Pastor Harris talked about, you're in small groups. You're doing the one another's and going through life together. It's incredible. If, it's a, if you're a singer, it makes you want to sing. If you're a dancer, it makes you want to dance. If you're a Baptist, it makes you want to almost dance. But you know it. You know when you're in a kingdom-building church that centers on the gospel, the good news. Now, question. What kind of strategy are we going to have to be a kingdom-building church? Well, that's called our vision. It's unique to us. It's what God wants Appleton Alliance Church and the people of Appleton Alliance Church to be and do. We call it dare to move. We're going to dare. We're going to take risk, big risk. We're going after a God-sized vision, and we're going to get moving. Very easy, especially when you're a large church like this, a lot of good things going on, just to be satisfied and just say, this, well, it's good enough. Okay, we're happy here. Let's just stop. No, we got to get on the move. And we got to take risk. We're going to move the ball down the field. We got to take more territory away from the enemy. So what's our strategy? Three buckets in Dare to Move. First of all, first bucket, strengthen the core of your church. And I want to keep saying this over and over and over. What's the core of this church? We present the gospel. There's a lot of churches that don't really present the gospel. We present the good news of Jesus. We do it constantly. And we also, the foundation is the teaching of God's word, where we get the gospel from. We decided as part of our strategy I told you uh, about a year ago that we're going to go to a three-person preaching team. For many years, uh, I preached probably, you know, 45 times of the 52 weeks. But we've decided to spread it out and to have different kinds of preaching and have three 
per, uh, a three-person preaching team here. Myself, Dr. Mark Harris, and Pastor Brian. And you know, of course, we all have different styles. Pastor Harris is a great expositor, great teacher of the Bible. He has his doctorate in preaching from Gordon-Comwell Seminary, great school for that. He's an excellent, excellent teacher preacher. Pastor Brian uh, represents more of the younger preacher type. He's solid teaching, powerful application, more, more, more of a conversational style. And, and then you got me. Simple, direct, no baloney salami. Gets me into trouble a lot. You know, uh, <coughs> a couple of years ago, the, we have, uh, you know, we, we're not a hierarchical group, the Alliance. There's, there's about 20,000 Alliance churches in the world. Less than 2,000 are in the United States. It's mostly been about getting the gospel to the, a lot of missionaries we send out. And it was started not to be a denomination. A lot of people, different backgrounds, just like we are here. We're all from all different kind of Christian and different denominations, but we're all together to be an alliance that centers on Jesus and the Bible, the main things. But so this national organization we have, which basically is not hierarchy to us, but they're kind of an association. We actually, they do all of our missions work. They take care of all of that. But anyway, it's located in Colorado Springs, and they called me up a couple of years ago, and they said, Pastor Episcopal, we would like you to write, because we're one of the top alliance churches in the United States, they said, we'd like you to write three articles in our national magazine called the Alliance Life Magazine. I said, sure. So I wrote the first one. I entitled it Knuckleheads. <laughs> Don't do it now, but you could Google it. Episcopal Knuckleheads, you still get it. Two weeks later, they called me and they said, Dr. Piscopo, we're, we're okay. We don't need article two and three. <laughs> don't call us, we'll call you. I said, what happened? They said, we got all these people who are upset now and they're calling us. I said, yeah, it's the knuckleheads. <laughs> they destroyed churches. <clears throat> Listen. We're going to make sure that we keep to the core. We keep to the core, which is the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of God's word. And then we also are gonna make sure that we transition this great responsibility of the gospel and God's word to younger leaders. Uh, I'm 64. Uh, my plan is to work full-time till 70. 2025, I'm gonna hand the baton to somebody from this pulpit. But we're not going to do it we're not gonna wait until I'm 69 or 68. We're gonna do it gradually. So we are stocking this place with incredible young talent. And we're empowering them. Listen, when you do succession in any organization, you can do it one of three ways. The first way is the older leader, when he's done, just hands the keys off and says goodbye. And you abandon the younger leaders. The second way you could do it is you go, here's the keys. But guess what? You gotta do it, you're gonna have the keys? You gotta do it my way. You gotta do it our way. And that's really foolish because your way was your way for your generation. So you don't wanna do that. You wanna hand the keys to them and empower them, but you don't wanna abandon them, abandon them. The third way is you hand the keys over and you're there to encourage, give advice, and this intergenerational handoff is done in unison over a period of time. And so that's, that's what our game plan is. That's what we're trying to do. Every generation will work together. Um, 
and by the way, every generation is going to do it differently. The music's going to change, yes, even the preaching style, everything will change. The functions of the church do not change. We don't compromise those. Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, prayer. Those will be here. The, <clears throat> the way we do those things will be a little different. The forms, that, that's negotiable, but the functions aren't. Uh, when we got the baton, I got the baton, what, 25 years ago? We got it from the World War II generation, the boomers did. And I can remember my first Sunday on the platform in this church, it was at the other building, the music was organ, organ, uh, choir, it was nice, but it was, I, I mean, I sat, this is exactly what happened first Sunday. I'm, at that time, they put chairs on the platform. I'm sitting on this chair like I'm on the throne. I'm, I'm back there, and there was an elder there. His name is Gary Shaver. He doesn't come here anymore, but Gary's a great guy. And, and Gary's there with me, and uh, I turned to Gary, and the music was just killing me. And I, I turned to him, and I said, Gary, this music here is the cure for insomnia. I am, I am dying here. This is the first thing we're going to change. And the music director, who was a woman at the time, she came up to me, she said, Pastor, your mic's on. We heard everything you just said. <laughs> Oops. What a knucklehead I am. We're going to do it differently. That's okay. It's okay. It'd be too loud, whatever. We're going to make the change. We're going to make the transition. Look, there are a lot of churches that were great churches 20, 30 years ago. It's, it, it's, they're dying because they didn't pass the baton. I have full confidence. I really do. And the younger emerging leaders of Appleton Alliance Church were stocking this place with their high character, high capability people. They understand the generational differences and they're godly. They're, they're very Christ-like in their attitude. And uh, I'm here until 2025, but I have no problem training and getting that next generation ready. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus gave his ministry away. That's how he spent most of his three and a half years in public ministry. Yes, he ministered to the crowds, he taught, he healed. But most of Jesus' time in that three and a half years was spent with 12 young men. And they were young. That he passed off the baton to and said you are going to lead this thing called Christianity and he invested in them that's how we're going to strengthen our core we're also going to invest in uh, continue to invest in children's and youth ministry the 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 foundation of much of the ministry that this built church has been built on in the 70 plus years it's been in existence this church came into existence in 1932 but much of its history it's always had for some reason great children's ministry. We have almost a thousand children here on Sunday. And it's, am it's amazing to me. And I, <clears throat> listen folks, I travel the world. I, I've been at this a long time. I know it's out there. I, I say this not to brag. I say this because I believe it's the truth. I believe our Discovery Land curriculum, which is a comprehensive three-year Bible survey that we serve children with, and, and it is excellent. They know their Bible, they know the gospel, and most importantly, they know how to share it. Our DL curriculum is the best in the world. And I believe that. I absolutely believe that. 
I believe it so much that I told Chris Small, we got to do that. We got to share this with the world. So that's when DL Global got started. And her and Jesse Borkhardt and her, her staff, now we have a separate 501c3 called DL Global. And we, we've translated into Spanish as we speak. It's being translated into French. So it could be used not only in France, but in West Africa. It's been translated in Albanian. And lots of other languages we've got on the drawing board. <clears throat> now, we still need a children's wing here for our kids. That's part of our vision. It's going to cost about $2 million. Here's the issue. We, this place, the whole campus that we spent the last 15 years building, this cost us $35 million to build. Of that $35 million, we owe 12, about a little over 12. We're refinancing, in fact, right now. Our goal, and we believe it's, a, it's, a, it's got a little stretch to it, but we, we, think, we think we can get there. We're pretty confident we can get there. By, the, by 2025, when I pass the baton, only $5 million left. And that's very doable then to eliminate. But the bottom line, what I'm trying to say is we're looking to get out of debt. So we need the wing, but we're, we're going to have to do it with cash. So our game plan here to, to update you on our vision is you gave pledges for three years. The first part here, which is the first three years of our dare to, dare to move <clears throat> vision, we're setting aside at least a half a million. So we're going we're gonna to save for it. I wish I could build it now because one of the key components of this new kid, kids wing is a special needs area. Folks, there are not many churches that can minister to special needs kids. We can. We have a full-time person who does it, Tammy Ross, who worked for the Appleton School District. She's phenomenal. But this group, you know, I really paint for them because this group, special needs kids and adults and families are one of the most neglected people groups on, on a Sunday. They can't come to a lot of churches because they're not equipped to handle them. That's what we're working so hard to do. But in, in some ways, they need facility to do that, rooms that are, that are set up for that. Uh, but you talk to Tammy. She's got a special congregation that she ministers to every week with her volunteers and how God works very powerfully uh, with these folks. When I was uh, in my first church, I remember we had a Down syndrome boy named Alan. And um, we were not set up for Alan. And uh, his family was great. I mean, they raised an incredible young Christian man. But I'll tell you something. When I was with Alan, many times I felt like the feeling, like I'm, I'm with somebody who sees things I don't see. Alan had spiritual insight that I didn't have. And sometimes I would watch this young man be so kind so christ-like in his responses to people it was absolutely amazing i wa i've watched my brother pete my brother pete and my sister-in-law debbie can't have kids so they 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 adopted a uh, a young uh baby who came from parents who were crack addicts and uh, he's a special needs child what a godly young man he is i wonder if my brother and his wife as believers today would be the people they were they are if it weren't for my nephew Jordan I mean he's had in an incredible impact on their life on their marriage it's so easy for us as people who don't have special needs to look at special needs people and think that these people are somehow inferior to us we're so hung up on a person's intelligence or IQ and it may never occur to us 
that some of these special needs people are far superior to us in God's eyes. And in some ways, they may be living out in front of us kingdom truths. And they very often are God's special messengers to us, and we don't even realize it. Yeah. We need that, king's wing, that kid's wing up, and we're going to get it up um, because we're committed to our, uh, our two young children here, as well as teenagers. Our youth program, I compare against any program in the valley. It's called Greenhouse. Uh, when when uh, Brian took it over some years ago, we had about 80 kids, and that was unacceptable with our size church. Now we have four or 500 teenagers coming out. It's amazing. And it's been, a, and Pastor Paul and his whole team there is doing an incredible job. Um, there's an interesting scene in Matthew 17 where... Uh, Jesus is telling Peter to go out and pay the temple tax, not, not the Roman tax, but the temple tax for his disciples. And, and it says, you know, it's that whole miracle thing where he goes and the fish has the coins, but it says that the tax was paid for two people. It was paid for Jesus, who of course was at least 30 years old, and for Peter, who was the only disciple who was married, listen that's it just for two adults two of his disciples you see in that day most Jewish men were married by the time they were 18 which means that the majority of the Apostles were not 18 yet you get the picture we don't know this for sure but most scholars believe that the most of the 12 disciples were teenagers they were they were they weren't even 18 you know what that makes Jesus? The very first Christian youth pastor. And the 12 apostles were the first greenhouse. We need to have a priority in our church, in our vision, to make sure with excellence we care for our children and our youth. The second bucket of our vision is community outreach. I spend a lot of time in the community. This church, again, very wise. The board came to me very early and said, Pastor, we're not a holy huddle. We want you out in the community. So I spend a lot of time in the community, probably 25, maybe even 30% of my time, I'm out with community leaders. And um, when, when, when we're out there, our goal is not to tell the community what we'll do for them. We don't do that. We say, where do you need us? Where do you need us? And that's why some years ago they came to us and said, we need another uh, free medical clinic. And so we said, fine. And we got to work on it. You know, there's a, when I go to pastor's conferences, you get this, you get speakers who say this a lot. They say, you're supposed to be light to the world. They're supposed to know you're there. So let me ask you a question. Usually the speaker will say something like this. If you, you were to pick up your stakes and leave tomorrow as a church, would the community even know you're gone? Uh, I sit there and I hear that and I think, oh yeah, they would. We give presently about $600,000 to the poor, the needy, the neglected in the Fox Cities. Our goal is to give a million. We'll get there. And that includes our clinic. 
And by the way, if you're ever at the Goodwill Center building on the south side of town, folks, you need to go there. Just stop in and say, I'm an AACer. I just want to see what my investment's doing here and the, and the ministry here. It's your ministry to the community, and it's done well. But it's not just money. It's not just money we give to the community. We help the community in lots of other ways. I know a lot of you volunteer, but we, we, we counsel people here, Pastor Mark, Pastor, you know, Susan, and, and all of our counselors here. We have support groups. We spend a lot of time. I, te I tell this to um, government leaders sometimes. I say, you know, you look at us sometimes as we're off the tax rolls, but you know what? We contribute a lot. We add a lot of value to a community because you have no idea how many marriages, how many families are healthy because that's what we do. We're trying to build healthy families. And uh, so much so that our influence, we're, we're committed to, to even having what we're going to call community congregations, three of them in the next five years, where we'll actually go out into communities and plant the church. And uh, it, we're, we're looking at different places right now, but the first campus, community campus, will be launched in fall of 2020. Pastor Brian is going to be leading that. Then the second one, 18 months later, and then the third. Some years, I preached, uh, some years ago, I preached a sermon here from this pulpit called Too Much Ice Cream. Of course you remember. But I talked about how large churches like ours have a lot of ice cream. What happens if you don't give it away? It melts. We've got to constantly be giving out resources. Money in, money out. People in, people out. That's the second bucket. Community outreach. Third bucket, global outreach. Global impact. We want to partner with like-minded churches. We're not going to go and plant churches in these places because we don't know how to reach these cultures. But we're going to go on every content and find a church that's doing it. Like-minded, God-sized vision, evangelism, discipleship at the core. We're going to find those churches. We found one in Lima, Peru with Pastor Antonio. And, and I'm here to tell you that this year, uh, probably not this year, probably next year, we're going to eventually transfer a fund we have been saving for the last, well, I want to say 15 years. We've been just squirreling away money, and we've had donors that have given some money to it. But we're going to give that money to them so they can build their building. We enjoy this beautiful campus. They need a building. $2 million is the cost of their building. Four stories. And this has been the dream of Pastor Antonio. And if some of you have been to Lima, you know how important they need that building. And uh, we told them that we're going to do everything we can to help them with it. So next year, we'll probably transfer somewhere in the area of $700,000 from that fund so they can build their building. Yeah. That's, you know, I've had people say to me, why don't, you, why don't you use that for your mortgage? No. No. We got a lot of ice cream here. We're going to share it. And then we have Burkina Faso in West Africa, third poorest country in the world. Please pray for them. Pray for Burkina. Pray for Pastor Job. Pray for Pastor Tomas. Pray for the congregation there. They're a faith-filled, joyful congregation. But Al-Qaeda has come down from Mali, and there's been several attacks. You've seen, them in, you've seen it in the news in the major city, Ouagadougou, the, the capital, so much so that two years I had to pull the plug, and we, we can't send teams there anymore. It's not safe for us. But we don't want to forget them. We bring them here, and they preach here from this pulpit. We don't want to forget that relationship. I tell them, we're committed to you. We're committed to you. 
and then uh, we now have France. Our vision is to give $2 million annually, annually to all of this work, global work. We have the potential to do that. And the funding certainly is here. Is this, is this vision God-sized? Yes. Is it doable? No, not in our ability, not in our strength. But with God's help, your involvement, your commitment to dare to move, and you've been very faithful in giving to that. There's no question in my mind, we'll not only move the ball down the field, we'll hit all of these goals. And, and God says, you take a risk for me, I'll do more than you can even ask or imagine. I'm holding him to his word, and I believe he will do that. It's a God-sized vision. It's a global vision. But pause button. I want to remind you as your pastor, I realize my first responsibility, this church's first responsibility is always to our Jerusalem first. You come here every week with needs. You need the Lord in your life. You got challenges that you face every day. Some of you have some really, really big challenges. And I want you to know we're going to be committed to you first. Jesus said, take care of your Jerusalem first. It says in the New Testament, if you don't take care of your immediate family first, you're worse than a pagan. I get that. So we're here for you, and we'll make sure we are the kind of church you need so that you can connect with God and with each other. Um, but I, I tell people all the time, I brag on this congregation all the time out there, and I say, look, we're not special, because people are amazed by what goes on in this church. You know, they, they, there's all this gossip out there. You know, I was at Rotary not too long ago. They said, we heard, uh, Pastor, that you visit every congregation in the church, and you demand to look at their tax return. <laughs> what the heck? Where did that come from? I thought that's a pretty good idea, though, maybe. <laughs> I said, no, I don't do that. They, see, they, they, they don't understand how something this dynamic, this faith-filled, this many people could be. And I try and explain to them, listen to me. Here's our game plan. We're going to preach the gospel over and over again. And God uses that. Nothing special with us. He uses it to change lives. And we're going to disciple people through the scripture and through small groups. And God does it. And uh, we're just a bunch of ordinary people that God is taking. And by the way, I tell people, we're not, you're not going to hear Joe miracles every week here. People getting miraculous healings and stuff. That happens sometimes in this place. It does. God does miraculously heal. But most of the time he doesn't. And what it is, what Christ does is he takes our problems in our life that are really difficult. And he makes us live through that life victoriously because of our rock-solid faith that Christ is involved in our life and our eternity has already been settled so we don't got to worry. We win either way. I'm going to close with a God at work story because really that's what we're about, God changing lives. It's one of our own. Her name is Cheryl Bogdan. She used, used to be on staff here. She used to oversee our community care until she faced the biggest challenge of her life, which is cancer and even that last enemy, which is called death. She's working it though. But her faith inspires me. And that's what we'll close with. Let's show the video. So my name is Cheryl Bogdan. Um, I've been a part of Appleton Alliance for, wow, probably over 18, 20 years. 
I just really started not feeling well. And I went to the doctor and they thought I had a virus and um, they ran a lot of tests because many years ago, 11 years ago, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You know, I was relieved when the doctor thought this was just viral and just kind of pushed it off, kept working hard. I started having fevers and those fevers caused a lymph node in my neck to grow pretty rapidly. And so we knew we were dealing with something tough. Things just progressed very, very, very quickly. I went from being active and working over 30 hours a week um, to literally not being able to sit up, uh, not being able to drive, shower, you name it. I, I couldn't do anything. Uh, when we went to an appointment, they would meet us with a gurney at the vehicle to take me in to the clinic. In the midst of that, I was continuing to have fevers. I had fevers over 40 days, and it was just ravaging my body. I collapsed, was taken in an ambulance, and was hospitalized. And during that time, I knew I was in the midst of dying. I really felt like I was in the boat. I was in the midst of the storm. The waves were coming at me. And I knew God was there. I knew he had never left me. But that boat was rocking and, and it was rough. And um, I, wa I wanted out of the boat. And there was no easy way to get out of the boat except to remain in the storm and to know that he wouldn't let me go. You realize real quickly how very human you are. In my humanness, I didn't want to suffer. I did not always feel strong or um, able or, you know, I did not always grab for his word. I mean, sometimes I just, I was just crying out, help me Lord, help me through this. You know, and the tears would come. Fear would come at me hard. And you think, okay, I've walked with him all of these years, like, this shouldn't be a, this hard or whatever. I should just I should just know how to handle this. It didn't all look pretty. After the first cancer battle, we thought this can't happen again. God's not going to let this happen again. Okay, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're big enough, and you can wipe this all away in a moment. Why are you not doing that? And will I still love you and praise you if you don't? Wrestling with God is a good thing. And the thing is, he loves us so much that he allows us to wrestle with him. You know, when we wrestle with him, we get to go deeper. I was wrestling with him. I thought, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of this? I mean, I knew he was there, but I was still asking that question, like, where are you in all this? What is your plan in all this? How can this be good? I think that whole thing we talk about, that he brings beauty from ashes, when you're in the midst of it, you don't really want, you don't really want that. When things are going easy or when things are um, going well, I don't, I don't always seek his face. I mean, that's just the truth. But when there's really tough things, it causes you to, to turn towards him even more and to go deeper. I love knowing that once you accept Christ, victory is mine. Whether I, you know, would have left this life and gone to heaven or stayed, victory is mine. It can't be stolen. And even when fear comes at me, I know that I know that I know, I know where I'm going. And there's nothing more beautiful than being confident in knowing where you're going. If you're on the fence, if you're like, you know you need God, but you think you've got time, <laughs> um, we don't ever know. 
And what I realized is I am so not in control. Like I am so not in control. And so in the realization with that, I realized that when we say every day is a gift, it really is. that kind of faith that inspires me not a perfect answer not not this miraculous healing story but a person who's going through difficulty but going through it victoriously with a solid faith assured where she's going to spend eternity that's what Christ does for you he takes your messy life and gives you hope and give you motivation and give you purpose so no matter what happens we win we win. And actually, his love wins out in the end. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, thank you that you've made a way for Cheryl and the rest of us. We're all dying in some sort of way. The Bible says that. Our bodies are wasting away. We'll all find that moment that's described in Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed. It's appointed for everyone to die. We don't leave this earth a second earlier or a second later than we're supposed to. You got that all figured out. But the big problem was eternity, and you fixed that too in Christ. Thank you that you have made a way, Father, for us to have that taken care of so it doesn't matter what we face. We're victorious. I pray, Lord, you'll use Cheryl continually to, to, to reach many people with the message of eternity. And we do pray for her, Lord, that your spirit of healing and mercy and grace would be given to her. And now, Lord, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace has given us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts this week and strengthen you for every good deed and word. And God's people said, Amen.